ladies and gentlemen, here we grow with Novus. Grow with Novus. Love it. That's your email alias, right? It is. is. Yeah. And needless to say, Chevy, Robert, Kevin, Kate, my Oklahoma quartet, my peeps, things have grown (laughs) for Novus. So you guys came on the Tripping Over the Barrel podcast with Tim, rest in peace, um, about two years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, around the time I was launching Funk Futures and Novus had been around for a little bit, but I think we were saying it was kind of like like an infant and now it's like a sassy teenager, right? So that's I right. wanted to bring you guys back on to talk about all of the, the crazy stuff that's gone on in your world, the explosive growth, the fact that you have a big office now in downtown Oklahoma City that you guys are all sitting in separate offices today for some reason. But <laughs> Things, things are going down in OKC and with Novus. So we'll be kind of quick with the introductions and then uh, jump right into some of the questions I have and, and some of the pains and, and wins and challenges and all fun things that we've seen with Novus growing from a concept to now a full-blown kind of decent-sized consulting organization. So, Kate, why don't we start with you and... Um, Give us a tiny bit of background, and then we'll uh, we'll move along to Robert, Chevy, and, and Mr. Decker. Sure. So Kate Stevenson, I've been in the industry for 20-some-odd years. I started off at Accenture and then have been in and out of industry and boutique consulting since. Um, was one of the founding partners of Novus about two years ago. And really where my sweet spot is, is not only business development for Novus, but also helping our clients with strategy. So I work with a number of clients today. Um, I have about three or four of them where I become kind of their interim CIO and strategic advisor. Wow. Yeah. Cool. And is that mostly upstream or is it across the board right now? Upstream, but with midstream assets too. So we're dealing with a lot of gas plants. Um, pipeline, as well as our upstream, their upstream assets. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, we'll jump into more on the project front. It says Robert's video is loading, so we'll go to Chevy. Okay. <laughs> uh, yes. Hi, Chevy Thomason, obviously. Hello. I've uh, been doing this like Kate, a little over 22 years or so. Uh, held mainly from the industry operator side of things. It's been in little bit of time at Devon, a large amount of time at Chesapeake, and then jumping into the consulting world. Uh, find that to be fulfilling because we get to help so many different people. We are ultimately problem solvers at the end of the day. Um, so we get to do a lot of problem solving, uh, which is fantastic. Um, at this stage in the game, uh, my primary function at Novus is uh, outside of just the data, data management world is getting to approve expenditures for Robert, Kate, and Kevin. So (laughs) approve or deny. Uh, Let's put it that way. Uh, So anyway, no, to to be serious, I mean, uh, yeah, the data world is my uh, nitty gritty sweet spot and the part that gets uh, exciting, especially you hear people in the office talking about stuff. And the next thing you know, you're in a conversation for some client, you may really not even know what's going on, but ultimately you're able to steer uh, a conversation in a direction that opens some doors and eyes for our team to be able to provide better uh, recommendations for the client. Yeah. You know, it's, it's always fascinating to me when I see somebody come from the operator side and become a consultant because 
when you were working full-time at Chesapeake, I'm sure you had a lot of problems and a lot of challenges and fires to put out, but it's ultimately one mission, one company. Now, when you shift from one thing to the next, it's literally shifting from a different culture, mm-hmm. right? A company based in a different location, a different asset, right? A different team altogether, which which provides its own set of challenges. And I think, Kevin, you made this jump with Peak Consulting, um, sort of out of your time at, at Chesapeake, and then ultimately kind of rolled in with the team over here. So why don't you give a little bit of your background, excluding the fact that you're a Yankees fan? <laughs> Very cool. And that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Chesapeake, if you go back to kind of the roots, at least when it hit my radar early to mid 2000s, was growing everywhere, right? So you probably got exposed to various different basins, natural gas, oil companies, scaling up rigs, scaling down rigs, layoffs, adding headcount rapidly. So I think that put you in a nice position, Kevin, to be able to transition into consulting. I think what what I see, at least from my perspective, and you were probably seeing this too, is part of the benefit that you get from Novus is having additional people around, Mm -hmm. right? It's really hard to scale a one or two man consulting shop. And you end up turning down projects that you actually wanted to take because it's all about creating value, right? So I'm, yeah, go ahead. What's really nice is, uh, so this morning, you know, Chevy and I are discussing issues and he comes at it from a totally different perspective. And when you have four different perspectives, four different skill sets, it's really nice. And, uh, you know, I think you put on, put that on top of the fact that we were at one point or another, we all spent some time at Chesapeake in a really rapidly growing environment that at one point had 174 rigs. And then also we were acquiring all the time. And so your job was to take chaos and turn it into structure. And so having processes, I think really helps us. We're pretty good at execution and we're pretty good at putting a plan together very quickly that is adaptable. So I think those are the things that, that each of us do pretty well. And then we bring some maybe specific area 
set, you know, skill sets on top of that. So it's been a nice, really nice blend. Uh, and very quickly, we didn't have to take time to get up to speed. We hit the ground running, I think, is what it felt like to me. So. Yeah, I mean, if you can adapt to all of the acquisitions and dealing with 174 rigs, then consulting should be a breeze. Huh? <laughs> well, yeah, there was 135 uh, acquisitions during about a seven or eight year stretch there. So, I mean, it was, it was flying. So insane, insane. Uh, Mr. Lolachi, Robert. Yes, sir. Robert Lovelace, um, a very similar background, I think, to Kate. I started my career in, with big four uh, management consulting firms and um, then went to work mid 2000s at Chesapeake. So, really got a deep dive into ENP then and met Kate, Kevin, Chevy there. Uh, and in between there, just where I worked at another operator, went through an acquisition and worked for several other consultancies and just kind of been at that intersection of, of technology, data, process, and people, and working on projects around that. So it's, uh, like Kate said, formed, formed this company, what, almost two and a half years ago, and yeah. it's, been, uh, it's been a wild and great and awesome ride since then. And that was a crazy time to start a business. Like, we're in a different climate now altogether, but it's important that we don't forget what it was like in late 2020. There was this, like, resurgence of COVID, and what are we supposed to do? Are we going to go back into the office? I even remember going to opening day uh, in Denver because I like to do that every year, go to the Rockies opening day. And this was would have been April of 2021. And I think it was maybe 25 to 50% capacity at that time. And it was a big deal that Dallas was actually opening it up, their new ballpark, mm-hmm. to 100% capacity. Right. So we're not that far removed from when things were crazy from this pandemic. And we've all just been working so fast, pushing so hard, building up a company, companies in this case. And you kind of forget like where this all came from. So maybe some of this makes sense that business has has exploded. But but Kate, I want to kind of bring it to you because I know that you you handle a lot of the business development and you're really pushing to kind of go off and, and start your own thing because you've done the consulting thing for years. Mm-hmm. Um, how how have you guys gotten your business? Has it primarily been word of mouth? You get a couple projects that are successful and then you sort of repackage or repurpose those. Like what would you say has been the main way that you get business? Relationships. I mean, we've over the years, we've just the four of us have built such strong relationships with not only clients, but our partners. So the vendors that we implement, um, we have a lot of deep relationships with executive teams that work at Quorum, at Peloton, at Datagration and others that have helped us and recommended us at places because Uh, they know that we do a good job and it's just years and years of relationships. And that's how we started. Now that we've gotten to 26 consultants, we have the the bandwidth and we're hiring around business development and we're putting more money into marketing and branding and going out and doing more, more sales to where we don't have relationships. So yeah. Really, our business development strategy was was all about who we knew and the relationships that we've built over a 20 plus year year career. Um, and I would say that the timing, you know, we mentioned COVID, you know, it was a tough time when we started and we didn't know, hey, what's this going to be? What's this going to what's this going to look like? But because of COVID, 
data issues started to arise. And when people started getting seeing some semblance of normalcy again, they called us and they said, mm. we have all these projects. We need to do these projects. Oil and gas prices started coming up. And it was like, oh my gosh, we have to do these things. So timing was actually pretty spot on with how we got started. And it's probably contributed a lot to our success was was when we started going out to the market officially um, and started having those meetings again was right when people were starting to come back to the office. Yeah, that's, you know, you, you started it off by saying relationships and that is so core to everything in business, mm-hmm. right? Which is really, you guys were able to hit the ground running despite it being a weird time to start a business because you know, people, you've already proven yourselves out at various different organizations. We're looking at probably over a hundred years of experience in the room. And what's made you guys successful at each of your stays has been those relationships that you've cultivated. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And, and I, I think for, for me, one of the, the hurdles I had to get over was to change the ask with people that I have relationships with. Because then if you're on your own, you need to monetize those relationships, right? Yep. You can't just be be friends, right? There's you're crossing a threshold to to kind of getting into the business mm-hmm. side of things, and I think for you, Kate and, and Robert, to an extent, that was a little bit more natural because you guys were doing that at Stonebridge and other places prior to this. Um, but I'm curious for kind of Kevin and and Chevy, right? Coming from the operator side of things, how have you navigated saying, okay, I'm going to be bringing immense amount of value to your production operations, to your asset teams? How do you cross that bridge to then asking for them to pay you money? Well, let me start on that one, Kevin, if you would, is ultimately, honestly, just had a conversation directly with uh, somebody I spent 15 plus years working with, um, obviously at an operator that's now at someplace else that uh, we have a very good relationship with, both from a company perspective and then just personal. Um, a lot of that comes to me, based on the work that I did at my operator stop, honestly, because luckily, I mean, from Kevin and I's perspective, both we were solving. I mean, we talk about this so many times, by no means did we do everything at that operator perfectly or the way we would do it now if we had it to do over again. However, we were adept at solving problems we all communicated extremely well across the enterprise with each other because we knew we had an end goal of this and it was ultimately for the company. We were proud to wear a logo on our chest, we, you know, all those things. And we, we were all in it together to make everybody successful and not just an individual silo perspective. So as a lot of us have left that operator, um, and have now found themselves in other oil and gas companies or other industries even, it's easy for them to call because they know the work that we did at that operator and they trust us immensely to be able to come in and help solve those same types of issues or other issues because we were just solvent people. We didn't always know the answer at the end of the day whenever we were together, but the one thing we were very good at was problem solving figuring a way to make it successful for everybody. So ultimately it still goes back to the relationships that we had historically speaking and the jobs we did. That's a really important point that you made. And I think it's something that is valuable for people listening to that RW2 employees places that 
whether you realize it or not, you're building your brand all the time, Yes. right? You're setting yourself up for what comes next and what comes down the road every single day at work and in every new relationship and hand that you shake. And I think that gets lost sometimes when you're part of a corporate entity, like you're part of a big machine like Chesapeake. You feel like maybe you can just fit in. Maybe you can hide a little bit, right? You can, you can blend in. But what you said is a really good point. You weren't a consultant for that long, right? But truth be told, you were putting in solutions that were creating value and people saw that, Right. right? And now you go off and take what's perceived as a pretty massive risk but if you had confidence in the solutions you were delivering and the value that you were creating in your full-time work, you were building your brand. Yeah. And I think that's a really important lesson for anybody listening that's thinking, man, what's it like if I'm going to go out on my own and, and take this risk and, and make the leap into entrepreneurship? It becomes a lot easier if you start that cycle organically while you are working somewhere W-2. In some ways, it's advantageous because think about all the people that you guys met working with at Chesapeake. And how many of those people are now at Diamondback or Devon or Sandridge or um, Continental, right? Uh, Enable Midstream that you can keep naming it. Most of the people that you work with, I'm guessing, aren't still at Chesapeake, right? So now you've got all these doors that are potentially open for you. And Kevin, I think when you got in initially with one of the Denver-based operators Mm -hmm. that, that was operating in the Permian, I was, you know, you and I were talking, you know, how am I going to get this business going, right? I just made the leap that, you know, I'm, I'm putting faith in my own stock and in my own business. Mm-hmm. And I think I said, you know, I'm talking to this Denver-based operator who has Permian assets and they're struggling on the production optimization side. I send you the company and you're like, oh, I'm friends with the CEO, right? That's it. Yeah. And then that, that led to you making you know, field trips and helping put in SCADA systems and, and doing all that fun stuff. Yeah. I, I think even bigger than just the relationships is, is, is that the relationships is a big part of it, but these people that you have relationships with know you solved their problems before they know they yeah. threw many things at you that you weren't prepared for and you figured it out. And I think that's the biggest part is, so there's a, there's a relationship perspective, but there's also experience in problem solving together and there's thousands of those people, you know, uh, across the country and across, you know, different fields that we've worked with. And so and, and what I found, I mean, you asked the original question, how was that transition? To be honest, I for me, it was fear the the going to consulting and not have having done the, the business development, the sales and those kind of things. At least I hadn't thought I had. Um, there was fear. There was a, a college football coach that once said before every game, he crawls under his desk and vomits. Um, that's just what he does. That's how he prepares for every game. And I felt a little bit like that at first. It was like, oh my gosh, I got to go out and I got to sell. And then what I realized pretty quickly is that you don't have to do that. You, you, you mm-hmm. just keep doing what you did and what made you successful on the operator level and build those relationships and solving those problems. And then those people start to talk to other customers and other people and, and it just works itself out. And so it wasn't as different as I thought it was going to be. But I was, mm. there was a lot of fear early on that it was going to be significantly different. And it took me a little while to figure that out. And, and to be, be honest, I still have a little bit of that from time to time. When we talk about sales targets and talking to people, all that kind of stuff, I was like, ah, I'm not, you know, that's not my experience. But it really is. Uh, I had a lot more experience in that than I really realized. And just to add to that, I think the reason our equation works so well is actually none of us are salespeople. 
Yeah, right. we have business development in here, but what the relationships that we've built is because we've been trusted advisors for people. And so people have been coming to us and asking us for how do we do this? Because they feel like they have these big challenges ahead of them. And so we actually, I mean, we're looking to bring on sales, but we're, the success that we've had so far has really just been because of that trust that we've built, like Kevin and Chevy have talked about. And it comes in two ways, the relationships and the great work that we do. And having yep. both of those things together, you know, equates to a trust trust level that, that they have in us. So... Yeah. You know, a, a phrase that, that I've used before on podcasts and just in business in general is that people buy from people that they like and trust. People do business with people that they like and trust, but there's a third element to that too. People do business with people that they like, that they trust, and that create value for them. Yeah. Right. And if you're consistently creating some level of value and putting the customer's needs over yours, mm -hmm. the business is going to keep coming. Right. I do want to push back a little bit on you, Kate, because I know that you're actually an excellent salesperson. Oh, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> and that's all part of it. Well, <laughs> you had to sell you had to sell these guys on coming with you and Novus, right? So. I know I did. I did. They were easy, though. <laughs> They're suckers. I was able to do it. <laughs> so it's it's not all um, rainbows and unicorns over there, though. There's obviously challenges with with growth. Um Talk to me a little bit about some of the, the craziness, some of the hectic times that you guys have dealt with um, in, oh my God, we just took on another customer. We need somebody to service it. Like, does anything stand out if you think about the last two and a half years of something that maybe made you a little bit scared? Something that, that was like, I'm now officially outside of my comfort zone. Anything stand out to you guys? I mean, think this week. <laughs> that sounds like the encapsulation of our whole week. Who's going to answer that first? Yeah, I'll let, I'll let Robert take it. Uh, well, uh, first of all, Jeremy, there's so many of them, it's hard to pinpoint one. Um, I think the ones this week have been good ones, right? It's it's let's go hire an additional two or three resources yeah. to fill this need that we got. And, and a lot of opportunities that are kind of popping up that were somewhat unplanned, right? They were conversations that we started 9, 12, 15 months ago. So it's, it's good to see that bear fruit. It doesn't always kind of stack up with the, the timing of the timeline that, that you want. And so I think that's the challenge of kind of navigating through there. But um, I think when, when you get uh, some experience under your belt, you learn to deal with the unexpected, you learn to kind of work a process through it and know that you'll get on the other side of it and solve it. Um, I think for me, the biggest one was probably early on and it was our what probably months four through six in the second quarter we were in business and we had, we started strong with a project. It didn't quite go where we thought it would go and not because we didn't do a great job. It just some key people that brought us in were no longer with the organization. And that happens sometimes too. Yeah. Uh, but we really had to kind of turn around and go, okay, now we got to organically just sell who can we go talk to. And so it's, it's like, it's a shift in a different type of work at that point and, and heavily on sales, what you guys have been talking about. So we, we did that. We recalibrated. I think by by April things picked up. So it was it was good that it was fairly quick. If it had gone another quarter or two, I probably would have had a heart attack. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like it's reassuring to hear that, right? Like the the path to success is never linear. And and I think that like you said, Robert, 
that was probably the best thing that could have happened. Right. You guys thought there was stability. You thought there was security. You thought there was payroll coming in every month. And then what you anticipated being a 12 month engagement ended at three months because you lost some key people. Mm -hmm. This is not unique to you guys. Right. This happens in business all the time. But then it's what do you do? Right. Okay, we want this to work. We're all in on this. Right. We've put our own capital into this. We've invested time. We spent time away from our families. Now what? And I think that's where probably you guys were able to dig deep, grab some of that fortitude that you developed from working in some lean eras, right? You guys have seen negative oil prices. You guys have seen, uh, you know, natural gas in the twos and the ones before and had to find ways to to navigate that and prove value, you know? So I, I think that that's really important to to hear. But on the on the positive side of things, Kevin, you were so excited about this when you told me, you're like, you, next time you come to Oklahoma, you got to see our office. So tell me about what kind of prompted you guys to, A, get an office, and, and what's it like now when you've got an office that you go into and it's your office? Kate, you want to take that? Sure. So it's funny. We had a town hall yesterday, and we were laughing because we have two office spaces last year. We had one that we thought, okay, well, people are needing to collaborate. They're needing to use conference rooms. So we got we got like a, a co-working space. And sure. within one month, we outgrew it. Everyone just started to come in. And we had one office. And then we had tons of conference rooms that we could use. And we outgrew it within a month. And we were actually terrified to sign a year-long lease there when we were like, well, we don't know what we're going to be like. We don't know yeah. what we're going to do. And so we did, and then we outgrew it. And so then we decided, well, can we stay within the same property management group so that we don't lose the lease that we just signed and get a bigger space? And that's what we were able to find. And we found um, a company that was needing to sublet within the mm. same management group. And so we just took over their space, got all our furniture, got all their AV equipment. It was really easy. We, we moved in in one weekend. And what we were worried that no one would come in because everyone likes working from home. But we were real adamant to say, hey, we want a good work-life balance and we want you guys to have the ability to choose whether or not you come in. We're not forcing anyone. We're not creating a policy. But mm -hmm because we're all fun, happy people to work with, everyone was coming in and now every single office is filled and we're looking at how do we even build more offices because now there's people just coming in and not having a place to sit. So wow. it's it's been a lot of fun. Um, and it's just fun, you know, having people together and sitting over the coffee machine again. I mean, it's been two, three years since we've had that. And it's just it's just brought us all together with a fun cultural vibe. So- and I know a lot of people are talking, you know, the the different type of space, whether you work from home or work from the office. What, what's been really cool here is that it's given us the opportunity to do both. Everybody's mm -hmm. fairly flexible and, and uh, we've enjoyed being able to do that. Have a place that, you know, Chevy can come next door or, or you know, Kate can come next door or whatever. And we can solve problems real quickly. We needed that. But we also have the opportunity work from home or if we're traveling and we do all those things too. So, and the one thing Kate didn't tell you is the reason we could move in in a weekend is because everything fit into a small pickup truck <laughs> we had before. <laughs> we didn't have very much, uh, but it was a quick move and it was, it's been really, really a good move for us. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think that it's very hard to establish company culture remotely. Mm-hmm. Um, for certain organizations, it can probably be done. If you're heavy on development staff, right, where it's people that are putting in their AirPods and listening to music and cranking out code, maybe being in the same place isn't as important. But I think in more creative and entrepreneurial environments, like Digital Wildcatters, for example, I was down there last week during NAEP. And there's just an energy about it. You go into the office and people are stopping by and someone records a podcast and then leaves. And then somebody else comes into the studio and the other person's on the way out and they're talking about their Bitcoin mining adventure. And then you've got a tech entrepreneur, right? And there's energy drinks in the fridge, beers, and there's just a vibe to it, right? And I noticed I found myself being more productive working in that office, despite there being more distractions. And I think, you know, Colin McClelland at at Wildcatters has been pretty vocal about people need to be in the office. And he and I talked about that. I agree and I disagree. I think for creative and entrepreneurial venues, and certainly for like a media company, you need to have that. Mm -hmm. But I also think there's a place for the remote work. If people don't like being in the office, if they feel like it's distracting, if they're not getting as much work done, if they can't hit their billable hours, But I think it's interesting because everybody wants to take like a firm stand on what it should be. It sounds like you guys have found a little bit of a balance, right? Like we got the office, you can come in if you need it. Yeah. And what we're finding is, is you, you, you nailed it. The, we have our data engineers and our data analysts and more of the development types that still work from home and they come in when they have, we have a meeting, but all of our project managers or business analysts, the the kind of extroverts that are always needing that kind of social environment, they're all coming in. So it's by providing a way for everyone to do what's best for them, um, we've we've really made a lot of people happy that way. Yeah, that's cool. And and you have what you said twenty six consultants over there, Robert. I think you said you had thirty some odd people working at the, the company now. Is everybody based in Oklahoma? Do you have people up here in Denver? Do you have people in Texas, uh, overseas? Like, where's everybody at? We do. I think I have what like the I think the bulk of the folks are Oklahoma City. We have several in Tulsa, uh, Houston, Denver. So all those you know kind of main oil and gas hubs, if you will. Um, but gosh, I mean, I, I want to say we've worked with people kind of all over the place if, if you count contractors in there too. So, um, given that remote nature and some roles, like we've been talking about require kind of more on-site work, some less. And so we're, we're pretty agnostic as to where people are. I think on, on occasion, there's a project where they need to be fairly close to the company we're doing business with, but that's, that's, uh, we're not seeing a whole lot of that. Honest, honestly. Yeah. Like, do you think that you guys will have a Houston office at some point, a Dallas office? Is that Denver office? Is that kind of stuff in the cards? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's on our, it's on our plan. I'm voting for Denver and Houston this year. I'm just going to. Yeah. Let me know when you get Denver. So I have an office. Nice. <laughs> when you have an office to crash in in Denver, I'm happy to vet it out for you. Stop by. Just, you know, let me know. You guys can pay for everything. I'll just stop by every <laughs> once in a while. No big deal. Um, You guys talked a little bit, you hinted at the future somewhat. And I guess to backtrack, I I saw you guys in Vegas last year at the Quorum Connections Conference. And I was sort of like, oh my God, you guys are like a real company. Like you're (laughs) you're sponsoring a happy hour, right? You've got your own shirts. Like this is a real thing. Okay, you're like the other big consulting firms that are here. And now here we are a year later and things have only continued to grow. 
do you even have the opportunity to think like, what does this company look like in three years, in five years? And if so, that's spilling all the beans. Like, I'm curious, what does Novus look like in three to five years? We actually are pretty good at setting goals. And Kevin would say we're bad because we keep setting him too low. And he keeps pushing me saying, go higher, Kate, go higher. (laughs) Because even last year we set a goal and um, without saying what it is, we almost doubled it by the end of the year. And this year our goal is 30% more than what we did last year. But Kevin's like, no, we need to go even higher. So he's pushing us to to continue to get that going. Um, And I think in three years, you know, we had a three-year plan and a five-year plan when we first started. Three-year plan, we've surpassed it. Um, Mm. And we've started some other initiatives that we knew we wanted to do to sustain long-term versus just, you know, worrying about the market. So we're starting to reinvest Um, into the company to grow different lines of business so that in five years, we can be even more stable than we are right now and only dependent on one type of line of business. So we have, we, we've been able to take some of our free cash flow and reinvest it into the company and reinvest it in our people. And that's something that we're very adamant about doing every year. Um, So we're kind of going into our third year And at the end of this year, we're wanting to be 30 to 40% bigger than we were last year. And by the Mm -hmm. end of five years, we're looking at um, being about three or four X what we were last year. So that's kind of our goal that we have right now. And of course, Mm -hmm. going into different lines of business, different markets as well, um, just to make sure we have some stability in case, in case we see some crashes again. So, yeah. And Jeremy, they've, They've all these folks have kindly agreed at the end of year five, I'm going to be retired in Kentucky in <laughs> bourbon tours. They'll yeah. call me if they need something. I'll winter in the mountains with you. Let's go, baby. We're trying to figure uh, out how we can do a big company retreat um, in Mexico. So, <laughs> oh, I hear you. Jeremy, I'd, I'd say too that I, there's an overarching goal for five years from now. And I hope we see it then we're already seeing it now. And that is to change the industry. I I think we, what we see ourselves as really different than a lot of other consulting companies out there based on our experience, but also based on really what we want to do. We walk in a lot of times and people say, uh, yeah, consultants, we know what you're here for. It's billable hours, all that kind of stuff. And so getting past that, where people say you're here to help us, you're a problem solver. You're not here for billable hours. You're not always here just to try to see how you know how much you can get from us and leave. It's more about let us whether it's a big job, small job, whatever. Let's solve it. Let's get it resolved. And next time you need somebody, then we're here. And that I think that to me, um, we've all talked about this. That that change uh, would be huge. And that's really where certainly we want to be in five years, if not in the next year or two, where people start looking at us as a little bit different type of consultant. Yeah, just to add on to that, our goals aren't just about Novus. It's also about the industry. Like Kevin said, we have we had a call this morning and it was so fun because this particular operator is looking to really turn its business upside down and be the first of the of the type of operator to do it. 
And Kevin and I were just giddy because we're able to help them with that. And, yeah. and we were able to say, this is how you can truly change the field. This is how you can use technology, how you can use people and how you can think differently. And Kevin even mentioned, hey, a lot of people are still in the 80s, right? I mean, this is the old way of doing things. Yeah. Well, here we are in 2023, and this is the way that people are going. And that's that's something that's really exciting for us is that we really are changing the way people are doing things in the field, in operations, not just back office, but in the field and changing their day-to-day jobs. And that's where it's nice to have Chevy and Kevin, right? Because I know, yeah. Robert, I've, I've always sort of thought of you as like, the, the CFO, CAO, controllers, like right-hand man, right? You want to do an ERP selection. You don't want to spend $3 million getting it implemented. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure you negotiate appropriately with the vendor. I mean, I remember going back, shit, to, to my Bolo days when you were doing GMX, the, <laughs> the vendor selection at GMX resources, right? Talk about a blast from the past. And I remember thinking, Robert has control of this decision, and they've placed full faith and trust from the operator side into Robert. But that only takes you so far, right? There's only going to be so many companies that are switching out their ERP or their accounting system every year. The field, though, where Kevin and Chevy have really lived Mm -hmm. for many years has taken an absolute bath with, with losing resources and not replacing it with technology. Yep. Right. So then you guys can go out there and really take them through a process of digitization, technology, route prioritization, safety. And I think that what we're going to see, and I'm curious to hear you maybe Chevy chime in on this one a little bit. Something that we talk about a lot on this podcast is the change from the traditional producer to also becoming a carbon capture company to focus more on on gas lift and reducing any sort of emissions related footprint. Are you guys seeing projects that now move a little bit more into the sustainability avenue versus just the production optimization side of things? It's definitely continues to come up. I think there's still an overarching aspect of it that it's all about the data, baby. I mean, it, Mm. it, you know, a lot of this stuff is there uh, or they're implementing new hardware, if you will, to be able to capture and deal with it. But it still all comes back to getting that data in a fashion in which it can be easily found and reported on. Um, and I think that's the big thing. The big nut con- companies still continue to try and crack um, because ultimately, it, you know, from a field perspective, one of the things I enjoy the most is a lot of times I love going into a company and, and taking that field person uh, or that field discipline, I shouldn't say person, and going, the data that they're generating or needing is something that also a lot of times that reservoir, that geo world, or some other, you know, department in the company is needing and vice versa and connecting those dots for them. I mean, that's what's so fun about a lot of this is some of these dots are not as hard to connect as people think. If we get into that world of communication and understanding that I can help you, I can scratch your back if you'll scratch mine. And we can solve these problems, you know, together, uh, especially as you see new technologies and so forth be able to come into play. So when we we get in and do process optimization, it's not always just a 
business process of, hey, I'm on a conveyor belt and I put this bolt on the conveyor and this person puts the nut on and this person then tightens the nut and none of them know why they're actually doing it from end to end. It's (laughs) the goal is to try and get them to understand, oh, at the end of the day, I'm trying to build a car and each one of them has a role and needs each other. Yeah. Yeah. We're also finding a couple of our clients are putting ESG and and revamping their EHS departments on their goals for this year. Some of them had it on last year, but this year they got dinged if they didn't. And now, now, now they're, they're writing it into their company goals and writing it into people's performance. And if they have any kind of, um, Dings on their reports, then the whole company performance goes down. So people are, companies are really starting to, to take it more seriously. And we actually have a project coming up where we are completely, like, like Chevy said, putting some data management practices in around their environmental data and health yeah. and safety and getting it into a database. Whereas right now it's all over the place, right? It's in Excel spreadsheets. It's over. They spend, you know, days just trying to put these reports together and then putting dashboards on top of it. And, um, you know, it's definitely a focus um, in the operations and production departments right now, just trying to get that under control. Well, and Jeremy, also, I think it's important to make sure people understand, because I think a lot of times people think of consultants helping and that it's, it's about coming in and implementation. Most of what we do would be implementation. And that's not necessarily the case anymore. And, and the earlier you can get us in, even if we're not part of a, the first project or two, the earlier that you can get us in and we can look at what technology do you already have that you're not using? I mean, that's exactly. such a big thing, especially with the field. Yeah. People love putting skate out or used to back when things were a little bit better. People would put skate on everything and yet they're not using uh, they're not optimizing that they're not, you know, auto they're autocorrect or auto fit and all those different things that you can do with your skater to make sure that it's changing. Those kind of things we, we want to talk about with you because sometimes it's not a new piece of software that you need. You need to be implementing the technology you already have. And then sometimes it is. It's, it's finding something that fills the gap across what you need, whether that's in the field or across your whole data, you know, the, the data flow um, throughout your organization. That's what I think people need to understand. It's not just implementation. And, and we have to know your process and people Knowing your process as a company is incredibly powerful and may actually even lead to you not necessarily needing new software or utilizing the software you already have. Because, again, most of the solutions we have, it's around understanding process before it is just put it, you know, slapping a new piece of technology. So I think that's important. And it's important in the field, but it's also important across the whole organization. Yeah, man. First of all, I can't believe you guys turned Kevin Decker into a full-blown consultant. Did you hear that answer right there? You can't just say yes or no anymore. There's always a, well, right? It took a lot of training. A lot of training. Oh, man. I love it. I love it. And and I think, you know, an example that I want to use is from Whiting. So, you know, Whiting Oil and Gas, which merged with Oasis and now it's Cord Energy, Mm they went through a phase where they acquired a bunch of assets, a bunch of different companies that grew very fast. And when shale really became a thing, especially in the Bakken and all of a sudden they got a little bit out of control with all of their tech purchases. 
So then they go bankrupt, a new team comes in, and the new CFO came in, and I was talking to him about some of his software goals, and he goes, look, I've got like three AFE workflow systems. I've got five field data capture solutions. <laughs> I'm not spending any money mm -hmm. on technology. I want to figure out what we've already paid for, what the contracts look like, mm -hmm. and then figure out, like make a selection of what we've already selected mm -hmm. to see what can work. And I think this is common in oil and gas where you have particularly a, a younger energy coming into a company and they see a piece of tech and they have budget and they buy it and implement it. And then it's like, wait a second, this other group already bought this. And it already kind of does some of that, mm -hmm. but it's like, well, there's sunk cost, right? Well, there's sunk cost here. So then, you know, how do you reconcile all that? And then I think you end up saying, you turn to a consultant to say, oh my God, you guys actually do have a bunch of things that do similar things, which aren't easy conversations to have. Cause you're telling them like, you kind of overbought, mm -hmm. right? So then the vendor's pissed at you. Somebody's pissed at whoever made the, you know, the, the supply chain decision. They're pissed internally, right? And the easiest person to blame is like somebody external to the organization, which is you, yep. right? Or which is the vendor themselves. All right, we got a couple more minutes here and I want to, I want to throw some things at you. I'm going to, we're going to do rapid fire. I'm going to throw a person's name out there and you guys all have to say the first thing that comes to mind. One word. Okay. Ready? Adam Hutchinson. Ooh, can I use two? <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, mad genius. There mad genius. There that's, a, that's a good one. Drinking partner. Ah, okay. We're going two words. Party machine. There you go. Two words. <laughs> Kevin. Friend. Nice. Good one, too. Let's go with Aubrey McClendon. Genius. Miss him. Miss him. A visionary. Visionary is kind of where I was going to. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Tom Ward. Disappointed. <laughs> Did, I mean, I, I didn't know Tom well, but I'd say diligent. Is, is dedicated. That's a good one. I'd say I'm going to go with Kevin's because I don't know one. <laughs> Well, at least somebody on this call has some balls. <laughs> and the final one, Kevin Durant. Love Cupcake. him. <laughs> What'd you say, Chevy? Cupcake. That's what everybody called him when he left. Cupcake. Oh, come on. <laughs> I don't care. Great basketball player. <laughs> <Love Great basketball. laughs> All right. All right. I'll take you guys off the hot seat, but well, I had to throw a few. I thought you were going to say Trump or, or Biden or something. Try to I get know. I was so nervous. I wanted to keep it OKC, Oklahoma centric. Oh, there you go. I, I never met Aubrey McClendon, but I heard him present once um, in the Marcellus in Pittsburgh in 2009 and found him to be an amazing, uh, compelling speaker. Um, I didn't have any money nor did I really understand oil and gas, but I was ready to buy some minerals or invest in some company stock that were based up there. And I just thought he, his delivery was, was absolutely incredible. So despite the fact that, you know, only walking past him in the hallway of the, um, the Pittsburgh convention center there, I felt like there was some sort of kinship. And then when I heard the news that he died, I was actually on a plane to Midland, Texas, which I felt like was sort of reflective of the whole thing, right? Because he was in some ways responsible for shale plays taking off. And here's a guy who didn't know anything about oil and gas six years after I heard him speak 
on a plane from Denver to Midland. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So his, his impact went far beyond just Oklahoma city, but I think yeah. certainly what he was able to do there, um, pretty powerful and, and cool stuff. I don't know Tom Ward. I just know one year he made like 90 million bucks and that sounds pretty cool. So <laughs> good, good for him on that. Um, I look forward to seeing you guys in Vegas. I'm sure you're going to be there for Quorum's Connections mm-hmm. Conference. Um, where can people find Novus online? Uh, go to growwithnovus.com. Growwithnovus.com and they continue to grow. Wanted to thank Robert, Kevin, Chevy, Kate for coming on. I think we'll do this again in a couple of years when you've got a hundred people. That's right. Um, and I'm chilling out in your Denver office. That's right. Um, drinking and eating everything that's in your fridge. <laughs> Sounds so, great. Congrats on the success. And um, you know, I, I always have appreciated your kinship and, and friendship and, and support. And it's great to see the way things are going. It's it's not a surprise and uh, look forward to checking in again in a couple of years. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks, so much. Thanks, thanks for having us. We've enjoyed seeing your your uh, growth as well. So it's it's nice to be on a, a similar path. Hey man, every once in a while the good guys win, right? That's right. That's right. No.